0: Good morning, good morning. How you guys doing? <coughs> Whoa, Man, that was nice. Alright, today we're going to talk about how to deal with a legion of demons. Doesn't that sound good? Like, what else are you going to talk about on Sunday morning? These are, these are just precious stories that we get to go through. And so today we're continuing our series called Heal Like Jesus. And here's the approach, is that we're going to learn how to do healing ministry the same, way Jesus, or the same way the disciples learned to do healing ministry. And that was looking over the shoulder of Jesus or watching how he did it. And here's the idea. We're not just observing principles of how he did it. We're actually going to do it the same way he did it. Because now we've been adopted and we are sons and daughters of God. We have the same You guys understand you have the same relationship to the Father that Jesus has. And Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, so now we get to do the same things that he did. So we're not just looking at how he did it, we're going to do it as Jesus did it. Are you guys ready? Yes. I believe it's time for the Church of Jesus Christ to not just have wise and persuasive words, although that's better than unwise and non-persuasive words, I suppose. But here's what the Bible says. You know, Paul said, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, I came to you with a demonstration of power. It's interesting when um, the prophets of Baal, it was like, let's see who's the true God, let's see who God answers by fire, let's see who God actually demonstrates power. And so uh, today we're going to look at a man who is possessed by thousands of demons. Alright, so like on a scale of 1 to 10, this guy is at like level 10 demonized. Just so you know, uh, the word demon-possessed isn't really in the Bible. I think the King James has that. The, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the, and the word there is demonized. Okay, so it, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we can't tell whether they're demon-possessed, obsessed, impressed, depressed, like whatever it is, we don't know. There's just some level of demonization on there, and I guess to whatever level they open themselves up to, that's the level of influence. We see in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, He says, don't give the devil a foothold. Right? Well, we we see in Second Corinthians ten that these wrong beliefs can actually become strongholds that hold us back, and so you can see different levels of demonization. This guy has gone all the way, all right? So he is like uh, you know, we're, we're going to see he is he's having some problems. He, this man has issues. His issues even has have issues. I mean, this guy is is really messed up. And uh, I remember a friend of mine was talking to someone uh, one time, and this person was just focused on demons everywhere. They saw demons. Uh, and he jokingly said, hey, do you see a demon under every doorknob? There's no lie. This was this person's answer. Oh, you think there's only one? Like, only one demon under each doorknob? Like, there's multiple. Okay? Here's the deal, guys. We're never instructed to have a PhD in demonology. Okay? Uh, some people get such an unwise focus that they want to talk about the devil. I don't know. It seems weird. Like, they want to talk about the devil, end times, and like, the, the, the Nephilim. or something. They, they always want to pick these obscure things and focus on these things. And, um, Here's the deal. I mean, Paul said, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Okay? So we certainly need to know that the devil and demons exist. Uh, we need to recognize when we're facing demonic activity. But we need to keep our focus on the Lord. Okay? The, the best defense against the devil is to be so God-centered that you, do, that you give no place to the devil. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, I focus on the uh, devil just long enough to get him in my sight so I can pull the trigger. And that's it. As that sounds good. When you recognize the enemy's there, you, uh, you focus on them long enough to be able to take authority over them, and then you don't need to focus on the devil. Are you guys good? Yep. So we want to look at how Jesus uh, healed all manner of sickness, all manner of diseases, how we trashed the power of Satan, kicked out demons, evicted them, however you want to look at it, and how we can do the same thing. So you guys ready for our story? Yeah. Alright, we're going to read it in Mark chapter 5. It's also told in Matthew. It's also told in Luke. I picked the longest version with the most details, and uh, I just realized I shouldn't be preaching on 20 verses. It was really difficult to uh, To pare this down, I should have done one of the more abbreviated ones. Doesn't mean it's going to be long, but it is going to be good. You guys ready? Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces." No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. i would like to bring him home for dinner, right? Isn't this guy, this is just delightful. Verse six, and when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, why, why was he, what was Jesus doing that was tormenting this guy that was demonized? Um, uh, verse 8, for he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So apparently, this casting out of the demons is tormenting to them. Verse 9, and Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea and drowned in the sea and everybody in the city was so happy that this happened that this guy no 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 verse 14 the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid I mean, they weren't, they're no longer, uh, we're gonna get to this, this is so crazy. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends, Jesus said this to the formerly demonized guy, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim on the Decapolis, it's, a, it's an area of 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I love this story. I mean, this is the, the story of the power of Jesus over uh, the very worst that Satan can do in a human life. I mean, thousands. It says the man, it said his name was Legion. Legion was a name for 6,000 Roman troops. Okay, so did this guy have 6,000 demons? I don't know. He had a whole bunch. I mean, uh, en- enough that it filled 2,000 pigs. And you have to understand this, guys. Satan has one agenda, and that's to steal, kill, and destroy. And he focuses most of his venom on those created in the image of God, you and me. And so um, early in the book of Mark, Jesus announces his ministry with this. in Mark 1.15, he says, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. What's that mean? The kingdom of God is where God is ruling and reigning, and it is, it is at hand. It's within reach. It's available. And so we see that you've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness, and you've been brought into the kingdom of light. So these two contrasting kingdoms, and Satan is called the prince of this world. He's got, he's, got a, uh, he's got a stronghold in this world, and when Jesus died and rose from the dead, Jesus said, I took back the keys, the keys of authority over the planet. Now, Jesus has authority. Satan doesn't want to let go of it, and so here's these opposing kingdoms, where the kingdom of God is invading the forces of darkness. And so we see this in Matthew 12:28. 28. Jesus said, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So you can see that every time the kingdom of God, where God's will is done in a situation, like someone gets set free, the kingdom is established and the kingdom of darkness is put out. So when we pray that prayer on earth as it is in heaven, that's our marching orders. That is what we are to do, is to take the reality of what's going on up there and bring it in. We're to take what's going on in a superior kingdom and inflict that upon an inferior kingdom, sometimes by force, as Jesus is going to do here. And so... um, so when we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's assuming there's this pseudo kingdom, there's this false satanic kingdom on this earth that has this false authority, and we're to take our authority and bring it out of that. So uh, here's the deal: the, the story of the, of the legion it actually begins the night before. And so Mark chapter four, remember we uh, it started off, they came to the other side of the sea. That's how it began in Mark chapter five. Let's read the story before that. After and after and, and leaving. Oh no, I'm reading the right spot. Oh yeah. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Jesus doesn't tell them why. He just says, we're going to the other side. The fathers must have given him a mission. We're going to pick this up at the end of the story here. I want you to hear that. that Jesus had a mission there. Verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took with, him, they, took him with him, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. Can you just see this? See The boat's filling up with water. So that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, this is Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to them, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's interesting, when they see the miraculous of Jesus, they respond in fear. When the other people, they see the miraculous of Jesus, they respond in fear. The fear of the disciples causes them to press in further. The fear of these people, they're like, get, out, get away from us. We're worried here. And so, this is, this is a crazy story. So, it's, it's the middle of the night, and this is the time for sleeping. These guys have been ministering all day, and Jesus is like, hey, we've got more work to do. And uh, here they are in the, uh, in the middle of the Galilean Sea, which is more like a lake, because I've been there. I was just there last month on the Galilean Sea. That's right. That's right. I, f- I feel like this story is really speaking to me here. And um, they're whipped by this wind, and the Greek language is described more like a tornado, okay? So this boat's just getting swamped with water. You can picture the disciples. They're bailing water. They're freaking out. These are fishermen who know the hard sea, and they're, they're scared to death. They're freaking out. What's Jesus doing? He's sleeping, all right? Apparently, the world Jesus is focused on. There's no storms, right? And so they wake up Jesus, and he stands on this bucking bronco of a ship, right? You can see the moonlight is, is lighting it up. He's soaked to the skin with, uh, with the seawater, and he says to the, uh, the sea, Shalom, shut up, right, basically. And, uh, and this storm, you have to understand, this storm is probably more than just a weather condition because you don't rebuke inanimate objects. It says Jesus rebuked the storm. So apparently there was some kind of demonic force causing this, trying to kill these people before Jesus was even able to get over there. And so, um, so now they're coming to the shore, and I want you to get into the head of these disciples. So they've been ministering all day, You know, they're supposed to be sleeping, they're fighting this storm. Now here they are in the middle of the night, they come on the shore, and um, they come to these ten cities, the Decapolis, the the ten cities. These are not Jewish cities, these are Greek cities. So there's no temples, there's no knowledge of God. The only temples are the ones that are dedicated to false gods. And so they've got these demon gods of the Greeks, where these demons inhabited, people are doing all sorts of weird things. And I don't know if you've ever been to another country that's strongly demonic, but just when you cross over the border, you can sense the presence of something else. It's almost as if when you're on an airplane and you cross into that space, you can almost sense the demons that are in that territory. And uh, the Jews, they were, they were sensitive to spiritual atmosphere. So here's these, Jews, these good Jewish boys, these 12 Jewish boys with Jesus. They come on here, and they're in this place, and they can sense the demonic. And on top of that, like I said, it's 2 a.m., and uh, the, the the belief of the Jews at that time, uh, I'm not saying it's a biblical belief, I'm just saying it was a Jewish belief back then, it's a lot like people in third world countries, they believe the demons came out at night, right, and so uh, like uh, nighttime was demon time, and even if you go to Africa, I remember we were um, doing a crusade over there, and the witches, they would, uh, I think from midnight to four, they would pray against us all night, and try to curse us, and all these things, and so uh, it was kind of like nighttime. So here they are. Uh, you know, it's it's nighttime. They're tired. They're soaked with water. They're coming into this presence of where there's there, there's no there's there's it's godless. Temples are dedicated to the demons. Uh, it's nighttime where it's kind of demony. And uh, and uh, and on top of it all, um, demons especially loved graveyards. And so here they are. They're coming to tombs. It's unclean. And I mean, you can just see it's like it's like everything's getting stacked against them. It's like Jesus, why are we here? like everything that we hate. It's like the perfect storm of evil is now all coming together in this one thing. And uh, so Jesus is bringing them to this idle-filled Decapolis. They're landing on the beach, bordered by all these tombs and graves, death, decay, bones, and they're sitting there wet. And they're like, Jesus, why did you have to pick this time in the morning to come to Graveyard Beach? And so Jesus, he gets out of the boat. I mean, he's probably still soaked from the storm, right? And it says immediately this guy comes. So here he is. Jesus is standing in the surf, right, and here comes this maniac screaming like a banshee, running down the mountain at Jesus, and this guy is, uh, as the moonlight enlightens him, you can see he's stark naked, it's like, oh boy, no clothes, there we go, you can see his body's lacerated, he's ripped his flesh by cutting himself with stones, Um, part of the demon, actually, part of the demon worship even today, and, and throughout the Bible, you saw that was part of it, was actually cutting themselves, Remember the prophets of Baal, when they were trying to get uh, Baal to answer by fire, remember what they did? They began cutting themselves with stones. And so uh, Satan and his army, what do they want to do? They want to steal, kill, and destroy. And if it's not destroying someone or something, they're going to try to destroy the very body that they're inhabiting. And so one look at this screaming banshee coming down the mountains, and you know, this guy's trouble. Like, th- this is not a good thing. He's got murder in his eyes. He's waving his arms in the air, and there's these broken chains from where this supernatural demonic strength had come on him. He's broken out of these things. You look at his legs, he's running towards you. There's broken manacles. And uh, people are trying to chain him down, but his strength is too great. And everybody knows this guy in the area. You know, I, I probably was originally from that area of G- uh, Gadara, or Gadara. And uh, he's been seized by uh, this demonic power, and now he's violent. And he's stripped off his clothes. And the town doesn't know what to do with them. They chain him up. It's not working. And uh, so he's driven by these demonic powers out into these mountains, into these tombs for days. And uh, when you picture tombs, don't picture like a hole in the ground six feet under. Picture caves with little rooms in them where they would put the dead bodies and the dead bones. And then uh, Luke's gospel tells us anyone who tried to come in this area, this demonized guy would jump on them. And so he's like the terrorist of this area. No one could even come through this area. And, uh, and so they're just getting out of this storm business. They finally get out of the boat, and just as they do this, this guy comes screaming at them. Jesus is standing on the surf, and I love this. Jesus is just standing there, fearless. The same Jesus who'd who stood fearless before this life-threatening, demonically induced storm, he's now st- and, and said, "Peace be still." He now and, um, why was Jesus able to sleep? Because uh, sleep through the storm, his body never picked up any indicator that he should be afraid. Right? The world that Jesus is in, like, like guys, uh, heaven is filled with peace, calm, trust, like, like, up in heaven, they're not worried about what's happening, there's complete trust in God, and you're always going to release the world you're most aware of. So here's Jesus, more aware of his Father's world than his world, his body didn't even recognize that he would pick up fear in the storm, and here he is standing before this screaming banshee, this guy coming at him, swinging the chains, naked, lacerated, And, uh, and that's ugly. I mean, you can just imagine the scene, it's menacing. Uh, I worked in a psych ward for three years, and uh, we had uh, demonized patients who stripped themselves and did unbelievable things that I cannot talk about uh, with their bodies. And uh, I tell you what, it's intimidating. It it is really hard to see that. Uh, You can see this man, he's naked, he's lacerated, he's screaming with these inarticulate cries, evidence of superhuman strength. And Jesus stands there serene, stands there perfectly calm. Every cell of Jesus' body is exuding authority. He's in complete control at Graveyard Beach. And we'll pick it up in Matthew, and I'm sorry, Mark 5:6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, ran and fell before him, fell down before him. And when this demonized man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. This man comes in the presence of Jesus, and he's overwhelmed by the realization of who he is, and, uh, and, and the word there implies worship, but it's not the kind of worship that we would offer. It's kind of a preview of Philippians 2 and it says that there's going to be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. See, guys, what we do is voluntary worship. On that day, it's going to be involuntary worship. When someone meets God, and meets, meets the true God, I mean, right now it says the demons, they believe in God and they tremble. So here's this sense of worship. This guy is freaking out. He knows who this is. He's trembling, and it's involuntary worship. He is in a position where he knows he is the inferior one. And these demons, they fall down before Jesus. Jesus has just stilled the storm that they tried to stir up to destroy him, and now they know they're in trouble. And it seems like these demons, they know they're in trouble, and they're trying to head off the amount of trouble that they're in. It seems like they kind of bring in some, like maybe their best negotiator, kind of like takes the lead there. And in verse seven, it says, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Matthew gives a little bit more insight. Matthew tells this story. Let's look at Matthew 8, 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Okay? Um, uh, Yeah. And so here's the Lord of creation. He's coming their way, and they're like, Hey, aren't you a little bit ahead of schedule? Like, this isn't the end of time thing. Like, what are you doing here? They're kind of freaking out a little bit. They're trying to negotiate a little bit. And uh, let me re- read verse 7 again. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. How many of you use the word adjure in the last 24 hours? Anybody use that? That's just a great word. Um, adjure, uh, adjure basically means to put somebody under oath. He's like, um, I'm, I'm putting you under like, as if the Father is going to side with this demon rather than Jesus. Like they're, they're using desperate tactics here to try to negotiate with Jesus. Sometimes magicians and exorcists of the day uh, they try to do that to get demons under their control. And so they're really desperate. And so they're begging Jesus uh, not to torment them. And so we already looked at this just a little bit. But how is Jesus tormenting? They're being tormented by just Jesus being there. How is Jesus tormenting them? We found out in the next verse, Jesus is commanding the spirits to come out. Okay? So this action of Christ, when you're tormenting a demon, dislodging them, they want to stay inside of a human host. And it's tormenting for them to, be, uh, to be, go out of that. And so I'm not sure if you caught this. We're going to look at it again and it'll be more clear. But Jesus is commanding these demons to come out and they're not listening. Go ahead, read it on your piece of paper again. We're going to read it again. But Jesus, he's not having initial success. These demons are being stubborn. Has anyone ever tried to I know some of you are looking at me with puzzled looks. Just just read it again, okay? Um, Even though they're in this posture of worship, they're ignoring Jesus. Jesus is saying, come out. uh, Jesus, come out of you uh, with you unclean spirit. And they ignore him and say, what do you have to do with us? Guys, for those of you who think that Jesus accomplished everything instantly at once, this passage is a contradiction. The unclean spirits remain in this man after Christ had commanded them to come out. Okay, so this is an example that Jesus is willing, part of his example is Jesus is willing to stay with someone until they receive everything that they need. We're going to see this in other places. A lot of people are just like, bam, bam, prayer, Jesus. And the person didn't receive anything. And people seem to be fine with it, and they go home sick, and no one's trying to stay with them. But the model of Jesus is, we're actually going to stick with you until you get everything that Jesus paid for. For anyone who's ever cast out a demon, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. Um, Demons can be stubborn. They act like they don't want to listen, right? uh, But um, I love how Jesus is much more stubborn in his authority than they are stubborn in their resistance, okay? So I love this picture. Here's Jesus. The surf is still rushing over his feet. He's just silenced this demonically powered storm. And on the one hand, the demons are trying to be brave. You know, they're, they're, you know we're, we're not coming out. Who are you? On the other hand, they're like, don't torment me. You know, why are you bothering us? It's not that time yet. And in verse 9, Jesus asked them, what is your name? He replied, this is the man, my name is Legion, for we are many. Like I said, Legion was a, a term for a Roman army of 6,000 soldiers. And Christ assumed that the demon he was dealing with would have a name. And so um, a lot of people get in this. This is a formula. You're supposed to talk to demons and all this stuff. Um, This is one time, and it's not clear whether Jesus is trying to talk to the man directly and then the voices answer. And so you get really close to a seance when you begin to try to get into conversations with demons. Okay, so a lot of people made a formula out of this, and so I've, I've dealt with them. They, they try to get you to talk, they try to do all these sidetrack things, so you get defocused on what you're supposed to be there doing, kicking them out. Okay, and so, I, I, so again, this, this passage, it just isn't super clear if Jesus is trying to talk to this man to see if there's still some of his will left in there, and the demons answer. So I just say, be careful when you're dealing with a demon that you don't get into a conversation with it. They, I mean, I've seen them do crazy things, like you know, balk like a chicken to try to distract you, slither like a snake. Um, we've been in Africa, and they talk in English to you, even though the people don't know English, and they're, they, they make fun of Jesus, they tell you you have no power, which is actually super discouraging, I'm just going to be honest with you, but it's like, hold on, that's not true, but yeah, they, they just do all sorts of stuff, and you, you don't need to engage with them, I've, uh, I don't want to go into all this stuff. Luke, uh, Mark, five, ten, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So the demons begging Jesus, don't send me out of the country. It seems like demons prefer certain areas. So you see in Daniel chapter ten that there was actually a principality over a whole country, right? And like I said, you can go in other countries. I remember when we went into India. I'm not like Mister Sensitive when it comes to spirituality. You know, I remember one time, (laughs) the first time I ever encountered the demonic. We were uh, it was my prayer partner. This is in another state. He had this office, and people were freaking out because they're hearing these voices in this other office when no one was there. Yes, <laughs> Okay, Sandy used to work there, but, she was, but this was. This is before she worked there, and so, um, it's you know, so we're like, oh my gosh, you know, and so, like, Jim, will you come pray? And they got these two other people, and so I'm picturing like a showdown between, like, cross between like The Exorcist and something else. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? This is Exorcist and Ghostbusters. I was picturing. And so I've never dealt with anything like this before. I'm super nervous. And uh, so we're going in there. And since I'm the pastor, they're kind of like looking to me a little bit, like to have like a little bit more insight into this stuff, which I had zero clue. And so we go in this room and uh, the other people were big time discernment feeler people. And so they're like, yeah, we just sensed that uh, this person that they um, they've been wrestling with an eating disorder. And the doctor, the office is like, yeah, that's actually true. And they, said, and they named something that horrible that had happened in that room, and, like, and the doctor was like, yeah, that's actually true. Jim, what are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit drafty in here. I think the vents are on. Like, like <laughs> you know, it's a, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, anyway, so I'm not Mr. Sensitive, but even when we went into India, it was like, man, I could, I could just feel the spiritual temperature difference. These demons, they love to be in those certain areas, and we see that in here. And now Luke th- 8.31 gives us another detail. So remember, Luke tells the same story. Luke 8.31 and they, the demons, begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. This is interesting. They go, please let, so, you know, different people pick, you know, different gospel authors pick up different parts. So the one's like, please let us stay here. And the other author picks up, and please don't send us to the abyss. The abyss was the place of eternal torment in Revelation 20. And um, the demons, they know they're finally going to end up there. But they're like, this isn't the time for that yet. Is it please don't do that to us? And... Uh, it's going to see that something interesting here in a few seconds. They end up doing it to themselves in a few verses. This is going to be killer. All right, so back to the story. You guys good? Yes, it's a long story. You guys following it? Yeah. it okay, because there's, there's going to be some gems we're going to pick up in here in just a second. Well, hopefully there's already been a couple. Mark chapter 5, verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding. Everyone wonder why Jesus sent them into the pigs? We're about to find out. I looked at so many different commentators. They don't know. All right. Verse 11, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Notice Jesus didn't send them in the pigs. He gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank of the sea and drowned in the sea. And from that day forward, it was known as the Bay of Pigs. (laughs) It was the first instance of deviled ham. You try making something funny in a story about demons, okay? Let's see you do better. Thank you. I'll take those pity claps. I'll take those. My self-esteem isn't above this. Jesus didn't simply send the pigs for their destruction. He just simply says, let them go. Because a lot of people are like, "Well, Jesus sinned by causing all this money to be lost and all this stuff. And uh, there's some weird commentators out. That's not what happened. Jesus said, the demons are like, hey, can we go on the pigs? He's like, fine, go. It's interesting, so according to the book of Leviticus, pigs were unclean animals. So Jesus is like, I'm gonna let these unclean spirits go into these unclean animals. Some of you are thinking, Jim, can animals be demon-possessed? Anyone who's ever met a house cat knows that animals can be demon-possessed. There's only one cat in heaven, and he's a lion. That's gymology there. That's not "Thus saith the Lord," but it's pretty close. All right, <laughs> and so Jesus—it's uh, like he knew what was going to happen. I want—I want to put these things together for you, okay? And so this is so classic. All right, so here's these demons begging—not here, you know—they're begging, "Don't torment us!" After they've been tormenting this guy, right? You see the irony in that. And so uh, they're like, "Please don't send us in the abyss. Send us into the pigs." Now, in Jewish thought, uh, throughout the Old Testament, the the sea was thought of as the abyss. Okay, you some of you connected it. So Jesus is like, I'm gonna let these unclean uh, spirits go into these unclean animals, and what do they do? It's like a direct train line right into the abyss. They go drown themselves in the sea. They go drown themselves in the abyss. It's like the ultimate gotcha moment. Matthew 12, 43 says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. What are these demons? They look for desert areas. What does Jesus do? He sends them right into the water, the very thing that they hate. It's like the ultimate gotcha moment. They've been negotiating with Jesus. They think they're doing great. And he's like, hey, hey, let us go to the pigs. Don't send us to the abyss. <coughs> yeah, <laughs> go to the pigs because that's a direct train line right into the abyss, right into the water when you're seeking waterless places. I'm sorry, that's amazing. That is, that is so Jesus, it's so good. Matthew 12:43. 43, I already read that one to you. It, it's just so poetic, isn't it? And so, uh, as the swine herders, they're watching what's going down in, on uh, graveyard beach there, they realize the pigs around them are all going crazy. Whatever this encounter is happening, all of a sudden their pigs are squealing, they're going absolutely nuts. They take off into a stampede, you know, right, into, right down the side of a mountain, drown themselves in the sea, and the herdsmen go and tell everyone what's happened. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And they came, to see, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed. Interesting, the first thing he wants is clothes. right? So apparently Jesus or the disciples had some clothes. They put some clothes on this guy. They find himself clothed and in his right mind. The word right mind was used by Jewish doctors in, in, the, in the literature and Greek doctors. Uh, and It was used to describe mental and emotional wellness. This guy is no longer violent. He no longer has murder in his eyes. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and it says, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Uh, This guy, when he's demonized and naked, they're afraid, and now he's he's well and he's afraid. And those and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. In other places where Jesus did miracles, what happened? They would bring the demonized, they'd bring the sick, and they would just flood the house where Jesus was at. They would flood the area, and Jesus was spending all day praying for people, thousands of people. He had to enter into places secretly because the crowds were so great. Not this place. They're not interested in all what had happened to the man. You can almost see the demonstrations now. Save our swine. Pigs rights. (laughs) like Completely missing the most important issue and focusing on something peripheral. I'm so glad that doesn't happen today. I'm so glad we've, we've, got, we've evolved past this ancient civilization here. <clears throat> That's a lot of pork for the local people. So uh, today's estimates are probably about a quarter of a million dollars worth of pork. And uh, it's interesting, Jesus in another place in Matthew, he said that, I'm sorry, in Luke 15, he says that um, a man is more important than a sheep. And here, to Jesus in his kingdom, a man matters more than a couple thousand pigs. And it's almost like Jesus is testing this place to see if they're ready for his ministry. Will you prefer people over pigs? Will you prefer deliverance over dollars? And they're like, no, we, we're focused on the money. We don't care about this guy. We don't care that he's been running around naked, torturing himself, and we're all afraid of him. He's been, you know, this menace of this whole area. We don't care about that. Jesus' response is interesting. He didn't even argue. Didn't have one-liners for him. Basically, he basically just gets in the boat and says, hey, if that's what you want, Mark 5, verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. Earlier in Mark, it says Jesus called to him 12 disciples that they might be with him, that he might send them out. So here's this guy, what's he basically saying, that, word, that phrase, be with him, He's saying, I want to be your 13th disciple. And Jesus actually turns the guy down. Verse 19, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The first person Jesus ever sent out was not his 12 disciples, it was a Gentile. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to go back to your folks, go back to your home, tell them all the hell hell that you've been through, and then tell them the great things the Lord has done. That word done there uh, was especially meaningful for him. Here's what it means in the original language. The great things the Lord has completed and finished the job permanently in one action that is now past." What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I know you're worried about those demons coming back, but this is a permanent fix you're going to be okay. Go tell everyone what the Lord has permanently done for you. Isn't that good? And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. The people are now receiving. They they were afraid of this guy. They wanted Jesus to leave. Now they begin to receive his ministry. And apparently, you guys ready for this, this guy did a great job because when Jesus comes back into the region the second time in Mark chapter 8, there's so many people there that Jesus has to feed 4,000 people in the miracles. The town went from rejecting him. Isn't this interesting? The town rejects him, and Jesus loves this place so much. He says, even though you reject me, I'm going to plant a little light in there. So that when I come back, even though you've rejected me, then you'll be ready. It is so good. Let's look at a couple lessons for us. You guys good? I love Jesus' obedience to the Father. I mean, he's exhausted from the previous night's ministry. I mean, he's ministering all day to these people. And, um, and, uh, And the father says, listen, there's work for you to do across the lake. And Jesus gets in the boat and fights through this storm to be obedient to the father. And he did it all for just one man. This tells me how much Jesus loves and values each person in here. Listen, guys, I don't care how messed up you are, how messed up your family is, how messed up your friend is, how messed up your son or daughter, your mom or dad, your brother or sister. I don't care how messed up your nation is, how messed up the government is. God has a plan to redeem you. Even the people who reject God, he still has a plan to bring you back. And it's a sneaky plan. (laughs) Oh, you rejected me? (laughs) How about we take this one guy, and he goes, and people begin to be amazed at his words. No training, just his story changes the region. I love Jesus' compassion. I mean, I don't know, I don't know about you, I look at this guy, I see a naked, scarred, foaming at the mouth, screaming maniac, and Jesus says, oh, here's what I see. I see the first missionary of the church. I see someone who's going to shake cities. Jesus' compassion sees what no one else can. The town rejects Jesus, and he's like, you know what, i got a plan to win you back. Jesus sees a gold mine waiting to be dug, and I want to see what those eyes. I love Jesus' fearlessness. He takes no thought of his self-preservation. Uh, guys, when you fear God, you'll fear, you'll fear nothing else. And Jesus knew his authority that came from God his Father and knew as he, exe- as he exercised that authority, he had the power of all of heaven backing him up. He could be quiet and calm and stubborn. Where do you at this a little bit? I just want to recap this part. Jesus was disobeyed by demons. I think we need to catch this. The stubborn demons said no, but Jesus had an authority that was more stubborn than their no, and so he persisted until it became a Go. Do not think because the powers of darkness do not yield the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time that it doesn't work. Guys, we're not talking about a formula. We're not talking about magic. We're talking about authority invested in us and in his church and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we recognize, I love Ephesians 6. It says, when you've done everything, in spiritual warfare language, when you've done everything to stand, then stand firm. And that's our job. When when it doesn't look like the enemy's bowing its knee, it doesn't look like that sickness is bowing its knee, uh, when it looks like it doesn't look like any demons coming out. Listen, I've been in there for two hours before trying to cast out a demon from somebody. It was <clears throat> it gets a little taxing. They, like they try to wear you out. I have learned some things since then, and I think you can shorten the time, but um, sometimes you gotta stand. And I know some of you, you guys have got you are you're, you're in here, you've got promises from God, you hear teaching on healing, your body's still doing the opposite thing. I just want to encourage you, you have the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ invested in you as a member of his body. It's time to stand. It's not time to get discouraged. It's time to face that thing head on again. And the last thing I want to look at is just the authority of Jesus that comes out in the story. I don't want you to ever forget the picture of a legion of demons cowering before Jesus standing there on this earth. They know their fate. Guys, demons can't have babies. So you know what that means? Every demon today was there at the cross and knows that they've been completely defeated. Every demon today is part of that Colossians 2 that Brian was quoting. It says that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he disarmed their powers and made a public spectacle of them. All of the unseen world knows that the demons are defeated. Well, we need to come into agreement with that. Every demon you will ever face knows that they've been defeated by Jesus and will someday have their eternal punishment in the abyss. And when you believed upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what happened? It says you were translated out of that kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son so that we are now the body of Christ. We have that identity. And I want you guys, uh, if you walk away with nothing else, just walk away with this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's not about puffing yourself up and feeling self-confident. And I've got this knowledge now of how to deal with this. No, no, just as simple. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Any problem that comes to you comes with the Christ in you. Never look at yourself apart from Christ because God never does. So whatever situation you're facing, whether it's a natural one, whether it's a demonically inspired one, whether it's a family relational one, whether it's a financial one, I got some good news for you. You don't have to face this situation in your own strength. And there's promises from God that cover every area. Let's close in prayer.